Hello and welcome to Down Syndrome Radio. Uh, today is August 13th. I believe this is episode 9. We are the Downright Awesome Dads. I'm Mark, here with my good friend Jason. How's it going, Jason? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. You ready for our big uh, uh, Lejeune Foundation research episode? I am ready. Uh, are I, you ready? I, I no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel ready. I don't feel smart enough, to be honest. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of... Uh stuff but uh, yeah so so tell me again how bad the weather is out in san diego you have to handle oh it's smoking hot i actually wheezy now eloise now says papa it's smoking hot <laughs> because i've said that so many times in the last two weeks week week and a half so someday there'll yeah, be boys coming was, to your house it was probably 90 yesterday here Someday there'll be boys coming to your house telling you she's smoking hot, dude. We'll have to look forward to that. I'm not, I'm not ready for that yet. <laughs> no way. So do you even own, you don't own an air conditioner, do you even own heat? Uh, we have a wall heater that never gets turned on. We do not turn that on. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, it really only heats up like a, you know, six foot radius from where it is located in the house, so... It's pointless. We have little like uh, electric space heaters in the kids' rooms, but but like you only need in Southern California. Well, here in San Diego, you know, within ten miles of the coast, really, there's only probably twenty days out of the year where you would need air conditioning, and twenty days out of the year where you would really need heat. And so, so you have a very small carbon footprint. Congratulations, buddy. Yeah, we do actually. We always run our dishwasher at late at night as well. Wow. Try to do all that stuff, all that green stuff. Go, buddy. <laughs> and only when it's full. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife and I differ on what's considered full, but I won't, I won't go into that. <laughs> uh, so how you been? You been all right? Yeah, very good. Um, busy, hot, but not really doing anything because of the heat a lot of beach time we were at the beach this weekend buddy we were on opposite coasts probably just today uh, oh had yeah the, had the family in virginia beach over the weekend took friday and monday for like a little mini vacay kind of thing it's only about two and a half hours away you know we stayed at a nice hotel on the beach and you know did the that full crazy four-person bike thing and uh you know spent time on the beach and ate out in the open air and whatnot it was great that's awesome i always i always think that you live like in western virginia i always forget that richmond is is not that far from the coast it's kind of in the dead center you know yeah two yeah. hours in the mountains two hours from washington dc two hours from north carolina two hours from the biggest naval bases ever <laughs> uh all right you ready to uh introduce our guest sure our guest is the um president of a foundation that sponsored a team. I'm well. So I met this guy. <laughs> Keep the mystery going. As I, long I, as you should can. I build it up? Oh yeah. Big build, please. Big build. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest is is Mark Bradford. He is the president of the Lejeune Foundation, the Jerome Lejeune Foundation, um, the U.S. chapter. Is that right, Mark? How do you? Uh, you I don't quite know how you define us, but yes, <laughs> we're the Jerome Lejeune Foundation here in the United States. So we're we're a part of the the big foundation in Paris, newly started here. Great, yeah, so so I met Mark, um, I think it was in June, um, his, the Lejeune Foundation sponsored 
a team, Team Extreme, in the Race Across America, which is a non-stop uh, bicycle race from um, Oceanside, California, to Annapolis, Maryland. And uh, Team Extreme was is two brothers, uh, the LeBlond brothers, and they uh, rode their bikes non-stop across the country in a little over eight days, I think. Um and so the June Foundation sponsored them, and, and through um, some mutual contacts, Mark got in touch with uh, Downright Awesome, and we organized a few people to go to the kickoff party to cheer cheer the team on. And, and he has a Downright a Awesome t-shirt, awesome. and I don't. He does. <laughs> you lived up to your name. You were all, in fact, Downright Awesome. Oh, excellent. Here in my Downright Awesome shirt that you so generously gave to me that day. Very cool. Making quite a splash here in Philadelphia, in the Philadelphia fashion scene. All right. Well, we ordered 300 more, so we'll be taking orders very soon. All right. We'll get you some business. Sounds good. So, Mark, maybe, um, let's see. I guess we should start off with your personal stuff. Can, can you tell us a little bit about your family? Sure. Uh, there's lots of them. Uh, yes, I have a family. I, uh, I have a, a fabulous and beautiful wife named Denise, who uh, uh, who is mother of, of my seven children. And Saint, uh, Saint uh, Denise, we'll have to call her. That's yeah. right. Uh, that's right. And I think she is actually. But yes, we have seven children. Our oldest is twenty-two; just turned twenty-two in June, and our youngest is four, and will be five in September. So. We have five girls, and then we have two boys that came as the tag team. Uh, we were consigned to the fact that we were never going to see another male face other than mine in our house, and we're shocked to death when uh, when Thomas Augustine was born, and we had our first little boy after having five daughters born My before. gosh, you needed to buy blue paint for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. I... Uh, you know, I was home watching the other kids when my wife went in for ultrasound when she was pregnant with Thomas, and she came home, and she was just sobbing, and the mascara was running down her face, and I went into a panic, and I thought, what's happened? What's happened? What's happened? What have you seen? And out of her tears, she said, I've just seen the face of our son. <laughs> so she was really quite moved at the experience in the ultrasound. That was the first time we actually knew what we were going to have. Uh, uh, what the sex of our child would be, wow, and after daughters, it was quite a surprise. That and then must she have been quite a moment. It was quite a moment. And then she threw out this other tidbit. And, oh, the doctor said uh, there was some little glowing muscle on his heart or something, which sometimes is an indication of some sort of problem. But but I've just seen the face of our son. So she was really wrapped up in the reality of giving birth to a boy for the first time, and it's been an incredible experience to see that relationship between a mother and a son develop. And and when William was born uh, a few years later, just the same. William is uh, our son Thomas's little brother. William's four years old. Thomas is now 11. So they make a great team. Great kids. That's fantastic. Wow. I, I love wow. large families. I'm just I'm sort of speechless trying to imagine having seven children. Well, you don't have them all at once, you know? Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> right. Thank goodness. Uh, so yeah I was counting the span it's 18 years so you probably have some out of the house already too don't forget about Octomom 
That's right. Yeah, she, she, I guess she wanted to do it all at once. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. what, so what drew you to the to the to the to the Lejeune Foundation? Well, I uh, Thomas, the our first son. Uh, as I said, Denise came home from her ultrasound, thrilled that she was going to have a son, and made this passing comment that the topillary muscle in his heart was glowing a bit, which is sometimes a marker for Ashley Down syndrome. And in fact, nine months later, or well, not nine months later, but uh, however many months later it was when, when Thomas was born, uh, he in fact did have Down syndrome. Although we didn't know that for, we didn't know that for 11 days. Uh, he was in the neonatal intensive care unit for 11 days uh, with an undefined health issue. He was having trouble breathing, needed oxygen, and he was very lethargic and very hypotonic, you know, very low muscle tone, which is an indicator for Down syndrome, but he didn't have clear markers for Down syndrome. He, the doctors just kept staring at him and saying, well, his ears are a little low, but not all that low. And and he has uh, epicanthal folds, but not really substantially there. And and he has the semi-increase, but only in one palm of his hand. And this neonatologist opened his hands and said, but so do I. And sure enough, the neonatologist had one hand with the semi-increase and the other not. Wow. So until the karyotype was returned that we knew that Thomas had Down syndrome. And uh, after everything else that they were saying it could potentially be, at that point, it was quite a relief to hear that he had Down syndrome. So that was that was our introduction into the world of genetic intellectual disability. But, you know, it's just life. You live life and you love your children and, and you adapt. But in December of 2000 and... The, 2010, I guess it was, the director of the foundation in Paris, the, the Fondation Jérôme Lejeune in Paris, was in the United States, came to Philadelphia with uh, a French-American that is living in Virginia named Jean-Marc Guillou. And uh, the person that they were wanting to have lunch with, who was my boss at the time, was actually in Europe himself. So I took him out to lunch and got to know the foundation at that lunch and uh, worked on the project with them. They were wanting to republish the biographical memoir that Jerome Lejeune's daughter had written about him for her children so they would in some way know their grandfather. And I was able to facilitate obtaining the rights for that book and getting it published quickly for them. So they were thrilled with that and they just got more and more involved over time. They need some leadership here and they asked me if I'd be president and after a long, hard consideration, I decided Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Come back to us, Mark. Am I here? Oh, you're yeah. going for a second. You, you left us with a cliffhanger. So, you know, I thought about it, and then yeah, and then, and then, then it just went quiet for a minute. The <laughs> cliff. <laughs> you were just remembering fondly the moment. I was remembering fondly the moment. Yeah, no, I, it was a very difficult decision because I enjoyed what I was doing, and, and you know, I there was stability and permanence there. I knew I could retire in that position if I wanted to in, in many more years. But, uh, you know, having a son with Down syndrome and, and hearing what's happening on the research front at, in that lunch on December 12, 2010, I was completely blown away. I, here I had had a Down syndrome son for 10 years, and I had no idea how far advanced research was in the area of genetic intellectual disability. And, uh, just astounded. And you believed in the cause. Believed in the cause, yeah. You and part I, of something you know, big. I helped get that book published for them, and then they invited me to Paris. In March of 2011, they were having an international conference where researchers from all over the world were gathered. 
they invited me over to that, and when I got there, they decided they wanted to do interviews of all of the English language speaking researchers. So they asked me to do that, which I did, which was an incredible experience because I got to hear firsthand from the researchers what they're working on and the progress that they're making. And and once you've experienced the foundation and the people's warmth and hospitality, the the Lejeune family, which is very much engaged in in the work of the foundation, the Jerome Lejeune Foundation is a family foundation. It was established by his family two years after he died, after Jerome Lejeune died. And Jerome Lejeune died in 1994. The foundation was established in 1996 um, because his family wanted to see his work fulfilled. It was his his dying regret that he had not been able to find what he called a cure. Nowadays, we would call them treatments, but he had been unable to find uh, that or to discover what he had been searching for throughout his professional life before his death. So his family started the foundation to continue his work. And here we are, over $22 million contributed to research later and a substantial presence in Paris in both providing health care to individuals with genetic intellectual disability and providing funds for branching um, out into the United States and I think I think you might be leaning away from the microphone, Mark, because you're kind of fading in and out a little bit. Oh, or maybe is it there? maybe we're having a Skype issue. <laughs> Either that, or he's waxing poetic again, staring off into space. I might be waxing poetic, staring off into space. Oh, Sorry. there he is! You can still hear me. <laughs> oh, you're a deep you're a deep man, Mark. It seems like when that background music kicks up then Mark goes away. So uh, maybe okay. um, I can, I can maybe there's something something going on there. I, I'm kind of new to this Skype world. I could be doing something wrong on our end. I don't have a headset or any of that sort of thing. I'm just talking into my computer here. Oh, look at that. Well, that's why we do it. It's easy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. I spoke to one of your, must be one of your coworkers at the uh, National Down Syndrome Convention in D.C. And, uh, you know, I was going to try to, I was, I was going up to different tables trying to work the angle to try to get people to come, you know, to, to drum up guests, as it were. And uh, she told me the fantastic history, uh, you know, Jerome Lejeune's personal history, uh, the discovery and, 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 and his his big achievements. And then, you know, I asked her about it. She goes, well, I don't know if I'd be the person or not. And when I mentioned it to Jason, he was like, oh, no, I know who to call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was it a, a, a fairly short Italian woman? It was. It was. Ombretta With a very cool Salucci. accent. Yeah, she's a great lady. Ombretta Salvucci is a, a real Jerome Lejeune devotee. Great lady. Yes, very passionate. Absolutely. Yes. But she was shy. I don't think she wanted to. She, when I started mentioning podcast recording, she was backing away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was in Paris that March that I mentioned, and we tried to get her in front of the video camera. We finally succeeded, but she wasn't too crazy about the idea. I'm sure she would have been wonderful. She was. She was great. Because, as I said, she's a passionate devotee of Jerome Lejeune, and that's what it takes, right? Right, right. It definitely came through in her speech, so. Yeah. All yes, right, so I'll go, go ahead. Her. I'll be seeing her next week in Rimini, Italy, actually. There's a, there's a big meeting in Rimini where they're having a whole exhibition hall devoted to Jerome Lejeune. So I'm going over for that, and Ombretta will be there and some others. So we'll all be celebrating the life of Jerome Lejeune and the work of the foundation next week. Excellent. So maybe we should give just a little blurb on on Jerome Lejeune and and who he was and what he did. Sure. Well, Jerome Lejeune 
was a French uh, pediatrician and geneticist who uh, shortly after medical school went to work in a medical practice of a, a man who had a fairly large Down syndrome clientele among his patients. And Jerome Lejeune was given many of those patients to see and to care for. And uh, he wanted to do research, but it was right after the war. Funds were scarce. There was no equipment to work with. And so he decided to do some statistical research with the individuals that he had who had Down syndrome. And uh, just to cut to the chase and cut through kind of a long and convoluted story, through his statistical research, he began to see similarities and realize that probably the cause of this Down syndrome, or what was commonly at that time called mongoloidism, uh, was probably a genetic cause. So shortly after that, there was a woman who uh, came back from doing some research, I believe it was in the United States, I could be wrong about that, but she came back to Paris and brought a new technique with her where uh, you could sort of plump up cells and stop their development at a certain point and then take them and smash them out and then look at them under a microscope. And you could see the chromosomes, observe the chromosomes under the microscope. And with that technique, Jerome Lejeune was able to photograph the chromosomes and then do a cut-and-paste job where he could line the chromosomes up, the human chromosomes up, and identify them in pairs. Right, that's that iconic picture that you always see, where you they see them all lined up. That's that. That's exactly it. And when he got to the twenty-first chromosome, what did he find? Not a pair, but he found an extra chromosome on the twenty-first chromosome, a trisomy, a, th- a third chromosome there. And with that discovery, he had identified the genetic cause of Down syndrome, and that was in nineteen fifty-eight. So with that discovery, he realized that the target had been identified for research and that there would likely be a way to be able to treat the chromosomal abnormality to minimize its effects and improve cognition, the mental retardation of these individuals obviously being the, one of the primary features of trisomy 21 or Down syndrome. Sure. So he committed his life to that. It was in 1956 was the first time that amniocentesis had been used to prenatally identify a chromosomal abnormality, just two years before his discovery. And Jerome Lejeune had a a passionate love for these children, and he realized the consequences of what a prenatal discovery would mean, uh, which we've seen realized, obviously, in uh, the very significant abortion rate for children with Down syndrome. So he saw it as his mission in life to try to find what he called a cure. And that word cure is one that really turns some people off in the English language. But the meaning of cure in French and the meaning of cure in English is a little bit different. And in French, the word cure implies that uh, you have resolved a medical situation to the point where you can get up and go on about your business with improved health. It doesn't mean it's gone. In English, we think about a cure as something that's gone. So people associate a cure in Down syndrome with taking out that third chromosome, that third 21st chromosome, which is obviously impossible to do, at least at this point in time. So Do surgery on every cell in the human body. That's not going to happen. Yeah, 21st chromosome. We don't know what the future will bring. Obviously, there might be a way to silence it at some point in the future, but that's not what researchers are looking at now. Researchers are looking at uh, medical interventions in terms of 
of uh, pharmacological products, you know, um, pills that will be able to regulate the extra 21st chromosome to normalize the, uh, to some extent anyway, uh, to improve the cognitive ability of individuals with a genetic intellectual disability and also to alleviate the other side effects, the other health issues that come along with it as well. One of the primary ones being dementia that comes later in life. Right. It's all tied to Alzheimer's, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Researchers have discovered that every individual with an extra 21st chromosome will have a similar brain uh, as, as Alzheimer's patients. They'll begin to develop what's called beta amyloid plaque on the brain, which is the very same that causes the dementia in Alzheimer's patients. So there's a real compatibility now between Down syndrome research and Alzheimer's research, and they're realizing that while the dementia may not be just exactly the same, there is some information that can be uh, traded back and forth between those two areas of research. And, and, and this is why I think advocacy is so important. Because, you know, we've talked about the disparity in research dollars and whatnot where, you know, Alzheimer's is big. The drug companies are like, okay, people will take this for the last 20 years of their lives. There's a lot of money to be made here, you know, and, and understandably, they're for-profit organizations and they want to focus their research where they're going to make, you know, where they're going to make the greatest amount of money. But, you know, we need to make a big, loud noise so that they develop, the, you know, they, they spend some of the research on, on, on our children as well. That's exactly right. And... You know, that research question and the funding for research is, is, a, is a little bit complicated. And uh, I, Yvonne Maddox, the woman who runs the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, uh, part of the National Institutes of Health, great lady with a real passion for Down syndrome. And she's working pretty hard to, to try to improve the situation for individuals with Down syndrome and their families. Uh, she's caught a lot of bad press over the NIH numbers, NIH funding numbers that were released recently. But, you know, a part of the problem there is that the research community in Down syndrome is very small. And actually, the population in Down syndrome in, in the United States is fairly small. The, the, the big number that we hear is, is 400,000 individuals in the United States with Down syndrome. The real number may be substantially less than that. So, and, and there's even been some conversation around in, in some circles about Down syndrome eventually qualifying for rare disease funding because the population is becoming so small. Does rare disease ca oh. category mean more funding or less funding? More funding. More oh. funding. Why, why, why would rare diseases get more funding? Well, may, I don't know if it's right to say more funding. Maybe it's better to say another pocket of funding. Okay. Yeah, just it would open up another pocket of funding for Down syndrome. Um, I hope that's not the case, frankly, with Down syndrome being about one in every 703, I think was the last number I saw of live births. Uh, you know, the Down syndrome population is, is substantial, and I, I, I would hate to see us fall into the category of a rare disease because that means the population is dwindling and, and it's, it, you know, nature is producing individuals with extra 21st chromosomes. and. And in many people's mind, the cure is you just, uh, you know, uh, the cure is, is you terminate the pregnancy. And, and uh, you know, there's such a joy that's come to our family with our son. And I know so many other families that feel the same way that I, I hate to see families make that choice because they're, they're cutting themselves short for a great joy that they could welcome into their lives. 
Well, let me let me ask you a, a moral research question that I struggled with myself a little bit. Very similar to the abortion question, which is, you know, a major controversy. I know I'm terribly against abortion. You know, we knew that our child had Down syndrome, in, in, you know, well in advance. Um, the question is, if they came up with something that they could give a vitamin or whatever that they could give pregnant women. No, maybe women could take when they were considering conceiving that would make trisomy 21 not occur as opposed to aborting a child once they were born. And that was to make trisomy 21 disappear would that be a good thing or a bad thing uh i think the drug would be a great thing i you know i because in one well here i don't know how much you're wanting to get into our personal views i i happen to be, believe the same as you do i i no, i'm not a person that favors abortion by any means nor is jerome Lejeune, but but uh the goal of research in jerome Lejeune's mind was to find a way that would encourage women and their husbands when they receive a prenatal diagnosis for Down syndrome or trisomy 21 to keep the child. Uh, and if that means if an individual will be fearful and having a child would be happy to welcome a child into their life that, that did not have Down syndrome and had the choice to take a drug to, have, to not have a Down syndrome child, I think that would be certainly preferable to making the decision to end the life of one. I, I agree. It's just something that that I've thought about before. And here I feel that uh, you know that, my, yeah, that I, I love my child, uh, and I definitely feel he makes a contribution. I, I, I agree with the goal of diversity, and you know, of plentiful types of individuals in the in in the world. But uh, the thought of Down syndrome disappearing entirely, you know, uh, I I have to wrestle with myself as to whether that would be good or bad. Yeah, it's, I agree with you. Yeah, I do. I agree with you. It's but, you know, something I've thought about this an awful lot, because the whole topic of research is a controversial one in this area, as we know. Uh, many of the advocates and the self-advocates, certainly, uh, is sort of a, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of mentality. And the reality is that every human person, I think, is in our nature to desire autonomy, to desire some degree of independence. Um uh, to have the, uh, you know, the thrust toward understanding that's just a part of it. We, we become puzzled with ideas and we want to be able to see through those. And I, I think what the research is trying to do is, at this point in time at least, is to not make Down syndrome go away, but to improve the outcomes, I guess you could say, of individuals who have trisomy 21. Sure, this this is kind of the plus 15 approach, the, you know, plus 15 percent uh not sure how you would, you know, uh, plus fifteen percent cognition. Not sure how you know how you measure it, but uh, you know, uh, I, I know I would take a drug that would make me fifteen percent smarter <laughs> like, if, it would, if it would help me remember where I put my keys, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely, uh, and I think that as a parent, one of the things that worry me most about my child is is the is the you know the cognitive disability, and I you know I want him to. Uh, I think that that's that's the single thing that would keep him from having an independent life. And therefore, it's the one that I worry about most and the one that I work the hardest to fix. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're all getting older as parents and you guys are pretty young. I'm not so young on this end. But, uh, you know, I think about that. We have a large family. I have no question that our kids will care for Thomas as he ages. But at the same time, you know, for his sake, I would like to see him have some freedom in his life. Right. We'll certainly be more concerned as time goes on about how he'll be provided for and who's going to watch. And 
And, uh, you know, I, I think it can just alleviate a lot of the stress and anxiety that many parents feel as they age. But not just that, you know, you've probably experienced this yourselves with Down syndrome children. When, when a Down syndrome child is born, you know that your life has changed forever in a way that it hasn't changed with any of your other children. And that's not to say that you don't love them as much as you love your other children. In fact, in some ways, I think you might love them more because that parental protective instinct really comes out when you have a, a child with some sort of developmental disability. But, uh, you know, again, it, it's just a matter of giving them a life that they can call their own with less intervention from those who are around them. And it's... It's that desire for autonomy again. It's the desire, and we all have it. Down syndrome individuals are human persons like the rest of us are. They have the same goals and aspirations in life. They're, they're maybe a little bit different, but, you know, at that same conference that you were mentioning, Mark, in, in uh, Washington, the NDSC conference, um, young Down syndrome woman, I think she was 32, and her aging father, where, you know, she was wanting her own life. She was wanting to choose her own boyfriend. She was wanting her own apartment, and her father just stood there shaking his head. He knew that she could And that's what we're dealing with. You know, it's easy as a parent to say, I love my child. I want my child just the way they are. How dare you insinuate that there's anything wrong with my child that you need to fix with your, with your research and your therapeutic or your drugs or whatever. That's me talking. What do the individuals have to say who are wanting that autonomy and they're wanting that greater degree of freedom as they age and they can't have it because they have an intellectual disability that doesn't allow them to get out and to function in the way that others do in society. Uh, and they're a human person, same aspirations, the same goals, the same desires. And I think we need to help them realize that. It's not, again, it's not saying that there's a magic pill that's the way that third chromosome on chromosome 21 it's just a way that improves quality of life and improves their overall health because with the medical research that's going on uh, it's not just about cognition it's about the other effects of the extra chromosome as well and we know sometimes those, those health effects can be pretty devastating far more devastating than the intellectual uh, sure. the life-threatening ones scare me they really do yeah yeah for sure Oh, and, and, and by the way, I'm not letting my daughter date till she's 29 either, so. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's going to work out. Uh, how, how, how about your daughters? Are any of them dating yet, Mark? Um, you know, <laughs> oldest daughter has a bit. My 19, you know, they're very focused. My 19-year-old, soon-to-be 20-year-old daughter is headed into nursing school, and she's just a great girl. And No, they're not boy crazy like some kids are. They're perfectly balanced, healthy, wholesome kids. Oh, but you have, to, you have to tell us a secret on that end as well. <laughs> you were the man. Yeah. Uh, well, t t tell us more about the plans for the foundation, you know, in the United States. You know, this this is kind of a foray for them, and you must have, uh, you know, uh, expansion plans or, or research plans here on the, on the continent, as it were. Sure. Well, we, uh, you know, really the mission of the foundation here is the same as the mission of the foundation in Paris, and that's a threefold mission in the areas of research, care, and advocacy. So I'm very proud to say that we just put out an announcement last week of the first research grants that we've given out of the U.S. Foundation to uh, three researchers, two of them working in uh, X-related intellectual disabilities and the other is uh, funding to help someone put on a conference uh, related to cognition and Down syndrome. 
So, um, you know, the Jerome Lejeune Foundation isn't just Down syndrome. It's all genetic intellectual disability. We're, we're quite unique in that way. Most foundations strictly focus on Down syndrome. We're much more broad than that. I, I sometimes feel that, uh, you know, with this podcast, not that it's on the same order of magnitude in any way, shape, or form, but uh, that, you know, we did limit it to Down syndrome, and I was not sure if we should, but it was kind of what we knew, so that's what we did. Yeah, well, and that's good, but there's, you know, Fragile X, Rett syndrome, many other different genetic intellectual disabilities that sort of fall back in the shadows because they're not as common as Down syndrome, uh, and they also need some work in those areas as well and actually research in each of these areas informs the other which is one of the things that impressed me the most I think about being in Paris at that conference in March of last year was just listening to researchers working in these different areas and hearing the the compatibility of research within each of the areas really down to the basic cellular level and and the similarities that they're finding and how all the research informs one another so you know the Lejeune philosophy is that you you, uh, you work to find the most promising research, uh, whether it's in translational research or in, in general science or basic research, and you provide funding, you find the leadership there, and you work toward, toward uh, solutions that will contribute to the cause so, in each of the areas. Sorry, I had to take a quick drink of water here. <laughs> That's quite all right. But research is certainly one of the primary i would say of the three areas of our mission it's it's right up there is one of them one of the most important areas and of course research is all about money so uh, we're going to be raising money and we're going to be raising money to fund more researchers and to try to move this whole process along more quickly and then the other area the second area that we are focused on is is care and how that's delivered in this country we're in the process of assessing at this point as we know, healthcare, the delivery of healthcare in the United States is really up in the air at this point. No one quite knows how it's all going to sort out and how it's all going to be funded. It's a little difficult for us really to identify how we can carry out that mission in the United States right now. It's impractical to think that we could start another Jerome Lejeune Institute here. <clears throat> but uh, at the same time, we have to, our, our mission mandates that in some way we work toward providing health care services to individuals and and I, this idea is in, in very rough form in my mind at this point and I haven't had an opportunity really to discuss it with anyone too broadly but we know there's a, a significant deficit in the delivery of primary care for individuals with genetic intellectual disability especially in areas of the country where there's not specialized medical care and I'm kind of thinking it might not be a bad project for us to get a group of smart people together and come up with some international standards that we can promote among the primary care community and that we can also develop some continuing medical education modules around. And that's so, sorry, so how, how is the, the care um, delivered in the French, the French uh, Lejeune Foundation? Yeah, it's a very approach there's a there are several specialties represented among the medical staff of the Jerome Lejeune Institute and it's uh, you know they're very familiar with the intellectual disability across the spectrum and what to watch for in each of the areas like the autoimmune issues that arise thyroid issues for example uh, 
certainly the cancers like leukemia is somewhat prominent, sleep apnea, obesity, all the different areas of health concern that arise with individuals with genetic intellectual disability. So each of them as specialists are, are keyed into those various, uh, various aspects of healthcare that they need to watch out for. In this country, we're more and more focused on primary care. And it's the primary care where the, where, the, where the expertise, I think, is lacking. At least that's what I hear from people almost universally that I speak with. There's a situation in primary care for individuals with Down syndrome and other intellectual disabilities is not where it should be. So the Lejeune Foundation, uh, the Lejeune Institute, rather, is, is a big in that it provides all these medical specialties and subspecialties um, and support from those various, various disciplines. We're talking here not about establishing another Down syndrome clinic like you might have at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia or, or uh, in Cincinnati Children's Hospital or wherever many fine clinics are throughout the country. There's a nice one in Charlottesville, Virginia. Oh, great. Good. Yeah, we have one in San Diego, too. <laughs> yeah. So see, there's no reason for us to do that. It's done. It's done here in the United States, and where would we put it? It's a big country. It's not France. Well, you'd almost be best to put it somewhere that doesn't have one. Well, yeah, or, you know, that's what I had thought initially. Initially, when I started thinking this through, I was thinking, well, maybe we need to develop something that we could almost set up as a franchise, you know, so we could go into existing medical facilities, different places, and and set up. Not a, I'm not talking about a, a for-profit sort of franchise operation, but understand it would be structured. Where you would trademark the name, and it would it would represent a particular approach to dealing with the medical issues associated with Down syndrome. But again, I think that's being done in so many areas that are accessible. And if we chose one part of the country to do it, then we can't do it someplace else. If we can really focus on primary care and improving primary care, then that can happen all across the country. And and the smallest rural areas to the cities. Yeah, you should have you should have a virtual uh, uh, clinic or institute or whatever you want to call it. That's a great That'd idea. That'd be pretty neat. That's a great idea. And you, a could, you could you could see patients via Skype. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, there's might be something like that that could be developed, but I, I think if we, in a sense, it would be virtualized in as much as continuing medical education is virtualized these days, where a doctor can sit down at a computer terminal someplace and log into a training facility, wherever it might be, down the module and work through the module. Um, but again, these are all just very rough, sketchy ideas in my mind at this point in time. I don't quite... Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty new into this endeavor, and I don't quite know how it will work out. And there may be a better idea that we haven't thought of yet. We've got to get the right sort of brain power around this, and, and we're working on doing that at this point on an, on an international level. Um, well, someone. So the, the, the big um, kind of conglomerate that I know of here is the, is the Linda Cernick Institute. Is, is that similar to what the Lejeune Foundation has set up in, in Paris? Or is it different? The Linda Cernick Institute is the research division, I think, of of this uh, larger entity that's uh, sort of the overarching entity, I, I think. And I, I'll actually be there at the end of this week to visit with them for the first time. But, uh, you know, the Global Down Syndrome Foundation is the, you might say, the funding entity. And, uh, excuse me one second. <coughs> Sorry about that. And then the Linda Cernick Institute is the research institute. Uh, 
And then I think they also have a clinic at the Denver Children's Hospital. So it looks like it's modeled somewhat after what the Jerome Lejeune Foundation has done with providing that, that threefold mission of research, care, and advocacy. Global Down Syndrome Foundations, the more the advocacy fundraising arm, Linda Cernick, if I'm understanding it properly. Linda Cernick is the, is the research entity, and then the, right. the hospital is the healthcare. So, the, you know, the, and, and I think what's unique about them is, is what's unique about the Jerome Lejeune Foundation in the sense that they've brought the three together. And I know the way that it's worked for the Lejeune Foundation and the Lejeune Institute in Paris is the Institute has provided a phenomenal clinical research site for the foundation. So, uh, you know, folinic acid was one of the big research interests of Jerome Lejeune many years ago in improving psychomotor development of individuals with Down syndrome. And uh, the foundation institute rather still carries out clinical research uh, in the use of folinic acid. There's just began a new one actually, I think in April of this year, a new research study, clinical trial using folinic acid and thyroxine, a thyroid hormone to uh, improve psychomotor development of, of young children. And their, their target age group is 18 months to three years for this study that's going on now at the Institute in Paris. It's kind of nice to have the research element and the clinical element so closely conjoined. So is there, is there um, very good communication in the research community, um, you know, across the ocean? Does that flow pretty freely? I, I think it does. And uh, I think it does, and, and I, I have to say, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much here, but I think the Jerome Lejeune Foundation has been one of the, one of the primary sources of, of facilitating that cooperation. The Lejeune Institute, uh, the Lejeune Foundation, rather, is all about a collaborative effort. We're, you know, we're not wanting to hold on to anything for ourselves. We're just wanting to see the result. And... And, uh, for example, we have something called Protein-to-Protein -protein Interaction Program, which is an open-source, web-based research platform where researchers can take a protein and they can examine that protein and its effects on other proteins throughout the, throughout the structure of the human genome. So you're not just looking at what's happening on chromosome 21, you're looking at the effect of protein synthesis on, and the genes on, pro, on chromosome 21 and its effect throughout the other chromosomes in the body because it, it seemed, it's kind of crazy to think that the 21st chromosome is the only place where it's going to be having some influence or some impact from this additional chromosome. So the protein-protein interaction program is open to all researchers and there are researchers that plug in from all over the place who are doing research on, on these various proteins. Uh, uh, there are others now who are talking about developing another project where there'll be sort of a shared virtual lab that we've been invited into. This isn't our initiative, but it's an initiative of someone else. I don't know how much I can talk about this at this point because it's not public knowledge yet and it's brand new, but it will be sort of a shared virtual lab where researchers can uh, benefit from one another's work and share ideas. Uh, the Delusion Foundation has something else called Unexpected Events, which is another web portal where, where uh, if there's an unexpected outcome of something that happens in an individual's life with trisomy 21. Uh, the example that I was given by the director of research in Paris was a child that ingested this very toxic cleaning solvent 
and all of the symptoms of the cognitive impairment vanished and uh, for just a few days and then came back. Well, what is there in that toxic solvent that had caused that to happen? That's an unexpected event. You would huh. rush your child to the emergency room and, and uh, you know, do everything you could to preserve, <laughs> preserve right. their happened was the symptoms of the cognitive impairment had had gone away so you know that's written in the cleaning solvent is identified and when you start to find uh, concordances between events then you start to look at the similarities and where the thread might be that ties them all together and that might lead you to a new therapeutic treatment so that's one of our Again, one of our open source platforms. It's but we open. should we should make sure that our our listeners don't don't give their children cleaning solvents. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's a horrifying story. <laughs> syndrome, uh, National Down Syndrome Congress event when Yvonne Maddox from the NICHD, the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, was talking. And for anyone who listens to your podcast, listen carefully to this one. But someone had mentioned that they had read some research where there had been a, a benefit uh, from someone taking, I think it was Prozac was the drug. Yeah, yep, I've heard about that. Yes. And they were going out and getting Prozac from a doctor and feeding it to their very young child, not an infant. And I heard that. I just, you know, parents, I guess, in some ways get a little desperate and they're trying to do something to benefit their children. But my goodness, you're playing with lives with that sort of thing. So, yes, you have to be very careful in all of this. We should. We uh, it's it's a it's a topic for another another episode entirely. But uh, you know, vitamin supplements and fish oil and all that kind of stuff is really on the edge of what you're talking about. Yeah, you know, there are natural substances. There's a there's a natural substance in green tea, one of the polyphenols in green tea that recently working with now substances ECGC, ECGC, epigallocathysin gallate that has been helping to remedy the cognitive deficits individuals with Down syndrome. Mara Dearson, a researcher in Barcelona, Spain, Jean Delabar, a researcher in France, are working on ECGC and having some result. We've given our ECG. There's no harm in it. It's it's a natural substance and you can't you know, it's like taking fish oil. You're not gonna you're not going to hurt your child with things like that. But when you start handing out Prozac, uh, yeah. Valium, you know, then you've got a real problem on your hands. No Valium, no Prozac, no cleaning fluids. No cleaning fluids. No. Fair enough. <laughs> unless, unless you caught them swearing, which case you got to wash their mouth out with soap. That's what happened to me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But so, didn't make you blind. <laughs> I do wear glasses. Uh oh. It's all, it's all Mrs. Owen's fault. Yeah. All right. Don't worry. She's not listening. All right. So uh, the big question I have for you, Mark, and you don't have to answer, but I'm always thinking this, and I I, I don't know how much to fool myself or how much to hope or whatever, but, you know, do you believe that in the next 10 to 20 years there will be some sort of uh, medical uh, pharmaceutical-based therapy that will improve cognition for our children? I, I personally believe that, yes. I don't know that you could pen a researcher down and force them to make that statement, and I wouldn't speak for research. They're always very cautious and and not wanting to uh, give too much hope to what the outcomes of their research might be. But I, I think certainly within 20 years, and I would not be surprised if within 10 years. And 
I think Fragile X, treatments for Fragile X are closer than they are for Down syndrome right now from what I've heard. But I think uh, substantial treatments for uh, Down syndrome that will in fact improve cognitive ability, whether it's 15% or whatever the percent may be, I think they'll be there. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of secret, cautious optimism out there, like myself, where, you know, the back of my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful, but I, I almost don't want to put it into words, you know, and I'm probably uh, predicting that most parents are that way, at least the ones that have heard about this research. I think so. I think so. Yeah. But, you know, the research... I think you have to be. You have to be very... Uh, but the research is moving so quickly now that... Uh, you know, the, there's the Roche trial and the GABA-A inverse agonist that they're working on now. Who knows how that will turn out? But if, if that works out well, returns promising results, and the drug can be tolerated, uh, you know, maybe that will produce something. We just received the first national patent on a family of molecules at the Jerome Lejeune Foundation to address uh, the CBS gene is called Christothionine beta synthase. All these things are big words that are kind of frightening in themselves. But one of the genes on chromosome 21 that is thought to be responsible for the intellectual impairment. And after testing and testing and testing large numbers of molecules, there's this particular family of molecules that's been shown to be effective. So the foundation is doing more research on that. Now we, we patented family of molecules so we have our claim to them at this point and if the research comes out positively over the next few months so we'll move it on to the next level but you know the process from getting any sort of discovery like this uh, in our CBLESS program as we call it uh, CBLESS 21 program from the moment of that discovery of a, a molecule to even getting the thing into some sort of clinical trial is a long road and you have to make sure that it's safe you have to make sure that it's effective. You have to make sure that it can be tolerated. You have to make sure that it can pass through the blood-brain barrier so that it can have the effect where it needs to have it. Most importantly, you have to make sure it's safe. And you have to do that very, very cautiously. And then once you get through all that, you have to make sure that you can make it into a drug. And then you have to figure out what sort of dosage the drugs need to be. And it's a long, long process. But I, I think we're really getting pretty close. That's that's kind of why I threw out such a long period. You know, I want to be cautious, but yeah, yeah. What do you say, Jason? You got any more questions? No, but I, you know, I guess um, hearing about the Jerome Lejeune Foundation in Paris and stuff, I, I always envisioned it's been around for a really long time because it seems like it's such a big, diverse, awesome organization, and and. I'm just now talking to you, I'm realizing that you know it's only been around for 15 years, and and a really lot has come in in those 15 years. I, I, I it's pretty amazing, actually. It is amazing, yeah. From 1996 uh, to now, and uh, yeah, the foundation has been very successful. Uh, you know, I can just throw out a few numbers. I don't know if we did this, and if we did, I'm sorry for repeating myself, but. We are the largest private funder for research in Down syndrome and other genetic intellectual disability. We've, we've contributed over $22 million in research funding so far. And well, we have, I think, 45,000 active donors in the house file in Paris right now. And 90,000 people have contributed to the foundation in Paris. Um, the foundation staff is 22, 24 people, something like that right now, I think, working in these three areas of research, care, and advocacy. Well, that's research and advocacy. The Lejeune Institute, the medical clinic, employs 
uh, somewhere between 20 and 25 physicians, I think it is right now. So it is a large operation, and it's, again, it's the, the mission of the Jerome Lejeune Foundation is just to continue to be Jerome Lejeune. And Jerome Lejeune had a passion and a deep love for individuals who had Down syndrome and other genetic intellectual disability. And, and all of us that work within the foundation have that same passion and deep love for these folks. And we just want the best for everyone. And and in this whole question of research, it's not you know something that we're working on that everyone will have to do across the board. It's the purpose of the research is to find ways to improve lives and to to allow people to live more independently and more happily. And you can take it or leave it. And there's no no requirement that you know even if someone would come across that magic bullet that would remove the first extra twenty first chromosome if that is in fact a magic bullet no no obligation to take it so it's just for those who want it like every other aspect of healthcare no i think it's a great set of missions revolving around a great central theme i like it yeah it is top notch thanks you awesome. do good work man Love it. thank you all right well any, any, the, we're going to move on to the story of the week is there anything else you want to cover no, that's great. That sounds good to me. Well, stay with us, Mark. We've got to get your moment of the week here. I'm going to... I have to think of one, okay? That's right. That's okay. I so have I... a couple minutes while Rick does his thing. So Rick Rick, Rick mailed us one from the car this week. So he was he was mobile, and we were moving our dates around, and I, 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 <laughs> I apologize. I wasn't the best at keeping him up to date as to what was going on, you know. So he's, are you saying he mailed it in? Is that what you're saying? He phoned it in. Oh... <laughs> uh. <laughs> No, it's awesome. Hang I I already listened to it once, but here, here you go. I'm going to start right now. Okay. Hi, Mark. Hi, Jason. This is Rick uh, with the story of the week. Uh, this week we're focusing on employment for a topic, and the headline is, The state apologizes to a man with Down syndrome fired from his job because of budget cuts. Um story goes along these lines. Uh, two state officials have apologized to a man with Down syndrome who was fired from his $12 per week job. The termination letter sent to self-advocate Mark Staganelli should have never gone out, says uh, executives from the Massachusetts Health and Human Services Department. For 15 years, the self-advocate Mark Staganelli has been working at a hotel where he received a letter of termination, unfortunately, last month. He's only paid $12 a week, which is basically just a gesture from the hotel for his efforts to work there. It's part of a employment program uh, through a program called the Greater Lawrence Educational Collaborative. So they place him into the role, and uh, then he's working in this uh, business in the community. Uh, but this... Uh, Lawrence Education Collaborative uh, no longer thought that it was an appropriate option for Mark and contacted him and his parents and said that he will uh, no longer be working there after 15 years. Um, they did end up meeting with Mark and his family. Yet another cool guy named Mark is what I was thinking. And say that we have Mark's best interest at heart and after meeting with his family today we arrived at a resolution that would allow Mark to stay in the position at the hotel while we work with the family and we'll continue to discuss uh, Mark's uh, options and supports uh, to best fit his needs. Um, 
his mother, Mark Stanginelli's mother, said there was no promise of a long-term job at the hotel, but he is employed still, uh, which is overturning the termination letter that he got earlier. Um, his father and I both feel they heard our concerns, even though we hoped for a commitment from Mark to stay at the hotel with job training. They heard our concerns and are willing to work with us, and we hope it works well, said Mark's mother, Beverly Staginelli. Uh, the hotel itself has no involvement in the hiring and firing of Mark. It's all based on this uh, state program through the Greater Lawrence Educational Collaborative, who place him as part of an on-site program. Now, their, the response to this was great. It's been covered by uh, all news networks, and there's video on it. Um, his mother said her phone was ringing off the hook with people offering actually other jobs and employment for Mark, but they felt this was the best fit for him, and this is what he uh, really liked doing, and that's the key, doing something that you like to do. Uh, so he will remain in that role. So that's the story of the week. Employment is a big focus for people with disabilities and making sure you're doing something that you want to do and uh, that you're pushing for and fighting for uh, that cause. This is Rick Kozmalski with the story of the week. You can see more of it or see a video of it on Down Syndrome Daily. And uh, glad to be here again, part of the downright awesome uh, Down Syndrome Radio podcast. And I'll turn it back to you, Mark and Jason. Thanks. Go, Rick. All right. <laughs> Very good. Uh, That's pretty ridiculous. It is pretty ridiculous. I, I like the part where they, uh, um, uh, they, he got all sorts of other offers from other, other people. Yeah. Mark, you should bail, buddy. Bail yeah. on that place. They don't sound like they're too uh, cool. Yeah. You need to... Uh, uh-oh. Man, I got my sound all screwed up here. But... Uh, offers. All right, well, uh, let's do moments. You ready to do moments, buddy? Sure, I'm ready, I think. All right, let's let's start. We'll give Mark a little more time to think. Okay. You want to go first? Uh, It seems like I always go first, so. (laughs) All right, well, I got got two moments. I decided to have a silly one and a serious one. Uh, My silly one was uh, on the way back from Virginia Beach, we stopped at Yorktown, and we went to the little museum that they had there, about, uh, you know, the end of the uh, Revolutionary War, ended at Yorktown, uh, surrender of General Cornwallis and all that, and they had a musket um, demonstration. Well, you know that we track, at least our young kids, Jason, uh, their poops, and, you know, we knew Luke had one in the chamber. You know, (laughs) so he, you know, he he stands funny, and he's he's trying to get it out and whatnot or whatever. (laughs) He doesn't like loud noises, and when the musket drill went off... (laughs) You know, I was holding him, and he was scared and whatnot, and we started walking away, and we smelled it, and I was there with my 11-year-old son, Alex, and, and uh, the girls were off somewhere else, and we just like, we were laughing and scared the poop out of them. <laughs> uh, so that that was pretty funny. But uh, No, my, my more serious moment, and it ties to one of our secret upcoming guests, of which we have some good ones coming oh. up, uh, is Lucas reading, not when I say he's reading, Luke is doing very well with the reading materials that we've been giving him, and it has been amazing. He's reading the sight words in the little sight word book. He does the matching of the picture of the, the, the book is pets, for instance, right? And he holds his little pointer, pointer pencil, and he says, this is a bird or whatever. This is a cat. And to the point where if I cover up what the animal 
picture is, then uh, you know he he can still he can still sight read it. I'm sure he's not sounding it out, but he can sight right. read those words. And then there's a little matching thing where you take the picture of the cat and you put it on the cat and whatnot. And then you know you put the word cat on the word cat. But the real trick is when you can take the picture of the cat and put it on the word cat, and 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 there's six of them in a grid, and he does it pretty darn well already. And we've only been doing it for a week or two, so you know we sent out a little. You might have seen the Facebook posting, Facebook video, whatever Luke is reading, and uh, sure enough, it you know first glance, he's got his little pencil out and he says, "This is a dog. This is a bird." So that's been pretty fantastic. That's pretty great. That's awesome. It's huge. All right. Huge milestone. I don't think I can top that. Uh, well, uh, there was two there, so you know maybe you could go for three or four. Um, wow. Let's see. The, the silly moment that I come up with is 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 about Eloise. So that's quite right, man. Yeah. So. She she has Olympic fever. Now that the Olympics are over, it's it's pretty sad, but but so in her so she also has swimming lessons and and she can swim fairly well, but she's certainly not, you know, freestyle swimming across the pool like they do in the Olympics. Um so she usually, you know, does a hold on to the side of the pool in her swimming lesson and then push and glide like with her hands stretched out to the, to the dock. Um, but so last Saturday, the first swimming lesson after watching some swimming in the Olympics, she, <laughs> she, you know, went off the side of the pool and just started flailing in the water and just, you know, was swinging her arms and her legs and everything. And her, for the gold, her, man. What's that? She was going for the gold. She was. And so her instructor, like, you know, kind of just grabbed her and, like, held her in the water and, like, you know, got her to stop. And, like, what are you doing? She's like, she said, I'm swimming, like, in the Olympics, Mr. John. And she was, like, so intense and just had the – oh, it was absolutely hilarious to, to witness. That's great. That's yeah. And, and, yeah, I don't know. That was – just crazy. Just she's crazed by the Olympics. So she went to gymnastics this week as well, and now she's she wants to be like uh, Michaela Maroney. <laughs> the, other, new, the uh, other one was from Idol. Virginia Beach, where we were this weekend. They were all were signs for what was her name? There were signs for all over the place. From Virginia Beach? Yeah. I don't know. Gabby I don't. Something, I, Gabby something. Gabby Douglas, maybe. I don't know. Is that right? But, uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Can't remember what I didn't. I didn't have much of a chance to tune into the Olympics. I'm afraid. Oh my gosh! The life. It was fun. It's fun to to experience it on a different level with the a child this time for the first time. I felt. I felt. I felt more empathy for like the girls when they fell and stuff like that. I just kind of just felt bad for them and just kind of knew how hard they worked for it and stuff and, and never kind of thought about that before Right, Kim, Kim, having, having a kid of my own. Kim tries to expose the kids to it more just so that, uh, uh, you know, they can get that feeling of working hard towards a goal, you know? Yeah. All right, Mark, what'd you come up with? Seven kids, you ought to have, you know, a dozen moments. <laughs> 
<laughs> and we have to come up with one every week. You get one, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm listening to you guys with envy because, you know, you've got these little guys in your life. And I guess I have a little guy, too, but everything is always colored by the bigger ones in the house. And so as you get older, life changes and the, and the circumstances and situations of life change a bit with them. But uh, I'd say probably, okay, well, yesterday. Um, uh, disclaimer here, Jerome Lejeune was a Roman Catholic. I'm a Roman Catholic, but the Jerome Lejeune Foundation is not a faith-based organization. Many people kind of get that confused because of Jerome Lejeune's association with the Catholic faith. But uh, Thomas, our son Thomas, who has Down syndrome, 11 years old, uh, yesterday served Mass for the first time at our parish. And, uh, you know, it's always a moment filled with great anxiety with these kids because you never quite know what's going to happen. But Oh, that's it, exciting. So it's not a, yeah, that's pretty neat. It's a proud Papa moment, I have to say. And uh, it was just a moment, you know, there was one of those moments that my wife and I will never forget when he came walking out of the sacristy there, processing through the church. He was the boat bearer. He was carrying the, the thing that the incense is in, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was just a beautiful moment to see. And, you know, I saw that again, and I, I was in Paris in April. There was a mass in Paris April 11th at Notre Dame, which... Jerome Lejeune's cause for beatification is moving forward in the Roman Catholic Church. So there was a mass in Paris that c concluded the diocesan phases called for that process. And, and at that mass, there were a bunch of kids processing into church and the procession with Down syndrome. And it was the same sort of sensation, the same sort of feeling of emotion, just seeing what these kids can do when they're given the opportunity to do it and when people believe in them. And uh, the 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 you know the the sensation or the feeling in Paris seeing those kids walk out there wasn't a dry eye in the cathedral because we all realized uh, what if he had kids with Down syndrome and I I sort of relive that experience yesterday at mass with my son Thomas watching him process through the church too and standing nice and tall and dignified and and uh, doing just what he was supposed to do so that's a proud pop not funny but it's just uh, oh that's an awesome hey that's one. awesome no, you, that's... i think you win yeah uh, i'm gonna say that's tough <laughs> to top. it was a great family yeah, yeah that's got to be it, it's got to be so good for him to make him you know be confident and and just have just great you know self um assurance and all that stuff it's it's just great he was so excited after church he was about I did it. He kept saying, I did it. I did it. <laughs> and he did. He was beautiful. And, you know, when you have these kids, you, you just appreciate everything that happens, and you learn so much as a parent from them in that way. We have another daughter on the opposite end of the spectrum who spent the summer in Aspen, Colorado, at the Aspen Music Festival playing cello, our 16-year-old. Just a brilliant, phenomenal musician who's had all kinds of success out there. And and, you know, I don't think we're any more proud of her than we were proud of Thomas yesterday carrying that boat of incense into church, so <laughs> dignified in procession. So, I, I think a church family makes a great uh, um, support organization. Or, you know, I don't, don't want to make it sound so impersonal, but I think it makes a second family that's kind of helps. Uh, is it something like it takes a village to raise a child or something? Yeah, I think you're right. And, and uh, you know, we live in Philadelphia. We're a block and a half from our parish, and, you know, we know the church very well, and Everyone that we get to every week knows us and knows Thomas. So, yeah, exactly. There was a, a tremendous outpouring of support for him there with our pastor and with the other people in the parish. 
I'm reading on the uh, the website that Jerome Lejeune was appointed by uh, as the first president of the Pontifical Academy for Life by Pope John Paul. Yeah, he and John Paul II were close friends. And uh, he went on a lot of missions for the Vatican, uh, even missions to Russia during the nuclear arms things that were going on. Um, I'm sure it was a, it was definitely a pro-life link there, you know, uh, in addition to the many, you know, probably yeah. other reasons as well. There's also a picture of him here with John F. Kennedy, another Irish Catholic. That would be that would be my background as well, uh, you know. So, yeah, that's 50 years this year that he received the Kennedy Prize from JFK. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the, and the other picture of him there has him doing the little uh, um, chromosome pictures, taping them together. <laughs> yeah. Into the into the I guess the final final look there. All right. Well, yeah. uh, oops, sorry. Oh, uh, have you had anything else that 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 you'd like to plug or things that are going on in your life or or in your organization that you want to highlight? I was just going to say here uh, in closing that if if anyone's interested in the life of Jerome Lejeune, his daughter Clara's book is uh, is an easy read and very informative, and it's a charming story about their life as a family and his discovery and how that impacted their family. And you know he he went from being a highly respected and well-funded researcher to having pretty much everything taken away from him because of his work for these kids. And uh, it's a great story to read. It's called Life Is a Blessing. And you can find it at Amazon. I think there's even a Kindle version now. So uh, it's a great story to read. Life is a Blessing by Clara Lejeune Gaimard, G-A-Y-M-A-R-D, uh, who's actually the CEO of General Electric in France, a pretty highly successful business lady oh. herself, but still very much involved with the foundation and very devoted to her father. All right. Jason, anything you want to plug this week? Um, downrightawesome.com. Look for uh, t-shirts coming soon. Downright awesome. You know that name fits well. I, I love. Uh, I, maybe that may be the whole reason that I do this is just to be able to call <laughs> myself a downright awesome dad. It's pretty. It's pretty fun, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. We it's like to ourselves. All collab. You folks have it together. You've really done a great job in what you're doing out We're there. We're just a little full of ourselves here, calling ourselves <laughs> downright awesome dads, but that's okay. I'm just along for the ride. It's all collab, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, our women are our women are awesome. There's no doubt about that. But I'll tell you, though, doing this, we have found a lot of dad-centric type uh, uh, type pe- type guests, and we really haven't we really haven't limited it in that way in in any way, shape, or form. It's just really been luck that way uh, that we stumbled across so many so many dad-centric uh, people to have on. We're, we're gonna break that mold. Of course, we had Barbara as well, Barb Warman from uh, uh, the Young Athletes Program. Okay, so the big news for us as a podcast was that we recently on iTunes under the kids and family category of podcasts, I'm going to try to look this up as I talk, were listed as new and noteworthy, which I have no idea how that actually happens. I'm (laughs) fanatically psyched about it. But if you look up podcasts and then you look up kids and family, which is probably one of the largest ones because, you know, it's all moms or whatever that listen as well, that... uh, we are not still on the list. Ah, oh, darn. But it was, it was probably four or five days, I think, that we were up there. You know, So I, I found the whole thing quite exciting, to be honest. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, it was pretty great. I thought it was pretty neat. Yeah, so uh, uh, it was all in the logo, I'm telling you. Having nice art probably helped. Yeah, that logo is downright awesome. Yeah, and it's, like, it's a little thought-provoking. You have to look at it and kind of think about it a little bit. But uh, 
Okay, so, you know, uh, downrightawesome.com slash DSR is where you can find our blog and all the old episodes and whatnot. We would love a comment or an email or whatever uh, on iTunes, which is the primary way I would think that most people would, would listen. Uh, we are, if you search under Down Syndrome, you'll find us. Uh, if a week ago you'd looked under New and Noteworthy, you would have found us there as well. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be back on that list. And then... Uh, you know, if you click subscribe, that would be awesome. If you gave us a nice review, that would be awesome too. But as long as you listen, that's what's really important. And uh, it's all about the kids, right? That's yes, it. sir. All right. I'm going to do a side plug for my other podcast, uh, Engineering Fatherhood, that I do with my older brother and my younger brother. Uh, it's a lot less serious, hopefully a lot more funny. We talk about the issues of being uh, dads and being uh, nerds and being engineers and, and, and all that sort of thing. Uh uh, together, so that's engineeringfatherhood.wordpress.com, and that's engineeringfatherhood on iTunes as well. So, there you go. Uh, I think we're set. That was episode number nine, ten. Where are we at, man? I think it's nine. I believe I believe it's nine. Yeah. Uh, I, I I also want to plug that we have some really good guests coming up as well. Uh, going to that conference, uh, we met. I met some people, uh, and and I must say the wonderfulness of this community. Nobody that we have asked to come on has ever said no. That is right. Very true. And, and you know, it's it's nice of you, Mark, to come and spend an hour with us. I mean, you knew Jason, but still, you know, uh, we're just kind of getting started here. We don't have that many listeners. Uh, we do we do have some, but still, the number is pretty small. But uh, I I think we'll get there, and all these will be recorded. And I I feel that there's a dad out there or a mom out there that's going to listen to this and kind of feel more comforted as they go through their new diagnosis as they as they come across this, or at least I, I think I would have found this if 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 it had been there when I when I found out about my son, a lot of people that need a lot of help with that. It's that's simple. the hard part. That's the really that's really the only really hard part. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah that's yeah. That's it. All right. So I decided I'm going to pick different songs when I close each time, and here's what I came up for this one. So you uh, enjoy this as we uh, as we pop out of here. So have a great week, Jason. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. You do great work, and it's important, and it's wonderful. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for asking. I was happy to do it, and it's great to talk with you guys. There you go. Now Thank te- you, Mark. Now you tell your kids to look on their iPhones, and you'll be on a podcast. Oh. Ask them how cool they are. Impressed. And then, it, it, well, you know, your cellist, she's probably got a you know, hit single up there, too, but, you know. Yeah, All right, here we go. I sent home from school one day with a shiner on my eye Fighting was against the rules and it didn't matter why When Dad got home I told that story just like I'd rehearsed Then stood there on those trembling knees and waited for the worst And he said, let me tell you a secret about a father's love A secret that my daddy said Was just between us He said daddies don't just love their children Every now and then It's a love without end, amen It's a love without end, amen When I became a father in the spring of 81 
There was no doubt that stubborn boy was just like my father's son And when I thought my patience had been tested to the end I took my daddy's secret and I passed it on to him I said, let me tell you a secret about a father's love secret that my daddy said was just between us I said daddies don't just love their children every now and then It's a love without end, amen It's a love without end, amen Last night I dreamed I died and stood outside those pearly gates When suddenly I realized there must be some mistake If they know half the things I've done they'll never let me in and Then somewhere from the other side I heard these words again And they said let me tell you a secret about a father's love A secret that my daddy said was just between us You see, daddies don't just love their children every now and then It's a love without end, amen It's a love without end, amen